Good morning, and I thought Jim was perfect. He always gets his facts straight, but now I learned that he too is a sinner. Uh, Jim, um, it was um, nine year, I mean, 16 years in nine churches, and we've served 600 churches in these 10 years. So, yeah, see, he's, he's really impressed with it. Yeah, it's been quite a ride. And I have no dearer, more competent, capable, caring pastor and wife family that are serving the 80 churches this morning across America than Jim and Rochelle. Um, I do remember Jim. I remembered his application, and my senior director, Todd, um, God bless me with an MBA to work with me. Who could figure he'd live on that little bit of money? But he was said, Tom, you've got to see this guy that's made this application. And um, he was better in person than he was in paper. Um, you're getting the best of IGPM when you get Jim and Rochelle. Uh, the Lord saved me as a child, and I was baptized at the age of nine um, following vacation Bible school. And I don't know, I just, the gentleman that, the African American gentleman, see here that was baptized? Brother, I want to say something to you. This is a word. God has a hope and a future for you, sir. I baptized, um, I did a wedding in Atlanta when I was an interim pastor, led the couple to the Lord. And the next morning, a big man like you, um, they were baptized at our church after they were married the day before. So I want to tell you that um, something prompted me in my spirit to say that to you. I had um, graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary. I went to church in Northern Virginia to be education and singles pastor. Then learned the specialty of the popular ministry of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, the popular ministry, everybody had to have one, of single adult ministry. I even heard people say, if we want to grow our church, we're going to have to have one of them, their ministries with the, the singles. Um, and then when it came time to parlay into my true calling of being a pastor, I was 40, uh, senior pastor, I applied and, um, and was interviewed or candidated at a church in Atlanta. And there in Atlanta, um, God called me on this path. The reality is that you're without a pastor, and I've served nine churches um, doing interim ministry, and I've had 10 years, so I've had um, 26 years of interim ministry, and even in college, Every weekend, I went away Saturday and Sunday, two and a half hours away near Charlottesville, Virginia. That would be number 10. But I, too, was confused, perplexed, and here's why, as a younger man. The pastor in that big brick church in front of you there, go back one, please. I got off my message. The pastor there came when he was 25. That's Smithland Baptist Church, um, where I grew up and was called to ministry. That is a sacred place to me. After four years of ministering to us and taking special interest in the youth, he resigned to take a new church, and I was 16. I remember his resignation because no one knew it was coming. It kind of must be how Baptist people do it back then. I don't know. They just spring it on you. And I was just floored, and the whole church gasped for a breath of air. 
We had going away for this pastor who had mentored me, discipled me, took me on retreats with our group of 10 youth to Canada, to Virginia Beach, did things that no one ever had invested in with children and youth. Um, and we're having in a basement of the church, having a going away dinner and celebration. And my legs got a little bit antsy, so I walked up into the sanctuary worship center. And there in a big chair, like a stoic bishop's chair, is my pastor. And he's crying. I said, Mr. Carfrey, what's wrong? He said, I don't want to leave. I love you. I love these people. But God had called him. We felt the same way. I was lost, as this slide says. I was confused. I was insecure. I was perplexed. Um, I got to tell you, a few people didn't like his overly youthful attitude. And sometimes probably his boyishness came out at the age of 25 or 26 and 27. But I want to tell you, when he opened the word of God, he was a true expositor and preacher and it transformed myself and others. Um, I'm here today because your church has had a pastor depart. And typically the normal reflex is, is how quick can we get someone in here? You know? Somebody's gotta do this and what will happen if we don't quickly have a pastor? So those kind of churches hire someone to preach, maybe call him interim pastor and he does his work and they adjust to the change of leaving one and going to another and there's some grieving that happens and there's a degree of future hope, a degree, let me stress that. And then the pastor is called and sometimes there's a honeymoon period and then for some reason the hasty perch, the hasty call or um, someone having their own opinion what we needed and led us toward that call can be disappointing or for some and not completely satisfying. The reality is that I have a great crew of interim pastors and I'm telling you to hold your horses because there's something better than just going out quickly like this next slide. It is something about interim pastor ministries that has a solution. Um, IPM today is a leader in interim ministry in America. Without sounding braggadocious or boy, he's up there with a big head, by the way, I have a seven and seven hates, so it can't swell any bigger, okay? It's maximized. <clears throat> but we have done something in 31 years that no one ever did in Christendom. We have built together a ministry over these 31 years that has become upgraded, upgraded, and upgraded. For instance, if we were the ministry that the second director inherited in 07, we probably wouldn't have Jim here because we were just starting some elementary training. Before that, it's like, go out and just fill in and don't mess with anything much and cause any problems. And then we got more intentional. And then when I came on, I had been trained in intentional interim ministry in all the churches, nine, and I was loaded for bear. I was very um, desirous that we become a very intentional kind of ministry. We have served 600 churches in my 10 years. Think of all the churches that I've talked to, intake calls, conference calls, video conference with their leaders of their church. Um, cumulatively served over 1,300 churches and we're serving 80 today. And right now there is a flood of requests for interim pastors. 
Typically, we have um, on the runway of approaching a church, that is, a church is called, we've done a conference call with the leaders, we are doing a search, or we've completed it, or they're about to vote. We usually have eight to 11 churches that are in process. Right now, we have 23. So, for some reason, it could be the COVID effect, but people are more quickly leaving pastoral positions. So we need more interims. That's a prayer request today. Um, these are some of my interims. Um, to the left, um, well, it's to your right is Dr. Ken Moberg, distinguished um, former executive um, director of a division of the Evangelical Free Church of America. Then there's Rick Kreider with his lovely wife. And, and um, oh goodness, my mind just slipped. I should know everybody by name. But regardless, um, that's... Um, uh, Larry Shute and Doug Monkmeyer, Monkmeyer, and that's David Sletton, who just passed away. Uh, these are the kind of people that serve IPM, like these two in front of you. As we move on, I want you to know that we do have a biblical example and biblical basis for short-term, intensive, um, leading to a more thriving church from the Bible. I'm just going to read a few verses there in slides, so I'll just look up. Uh, this is Paul in chapter 15 of Acts, where they've just had the Jerusalem Council. Paul is ready to go back out and preach and minister. And after having completed one journey, he said, let us return and visit the brothers and sisters in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. He went back. That didn't mean he didn't go to new places and start new works, but he went back. And so he went back to Syria and Cilicia, and this is the really pivotal, rich word, strengthening the churches. That was his mission. And that word is episterizo. I did go to seminary, and I think I pronounced it right. Uh, sterizo is the word we get steroid from, and epi is an intensifier. It's a strong season and the life of a church to support, firm up, fix what may be isn't working so well, so that this thing can stand upright, take pressure, and not break. It's immovable, it's faithful, but it's also, more importantly, fruitful. And that word is used in these four verses for the first journey, the second journey, and the third journey. Now, a living example of what this means this word epistereso, strengthening, is talked about with Moses, Aaron, and Hur. The Amalekites have, in Exodus chapter 17, they have attacked the Israelites. Moses is going to be on the mountain praying with his rod of God, and down in the, in the valley is going to be the Joshua leading the defense of Israel. And finally, he got tired, Moses did, and um, he couldn't hold his hands up any longer. I guarantee you not many of us could hold our hands up for more than an hour. It would just get too heavy and arms would be tired. So Aaron and Hur found a rock for him to sit on. And they episterizoed his arms. They strengthened, lift up. That's why this picture in front of you coming up right now is our mission. And the mission in this next slide is to strengthen churches during pastoral transition for greater effectiveness. When I started, our mission was strengthening and something else churches, no, supporting 
And I said, well, that's sweet, supporting, but let's really get down to the deeper meaning of strengthening churches. They thrive, so their best days are in their windshield, not their rearview mirror. And that's what I want for you as a church. I want you to believe and know that the best is yet to come. You know, I've been here just a day and a half, but I've met with leadership on Friday night. I met with 50 elders, deacons, and teachers yesterday morning. We presented some. But I want you to know that, that, that our hope is that you will just be amazed at what God does in the transition. But more importantly, in five or 10 years, you'll look back and still be grateful for Jim and Rochelle and what IPM walked with you through to prepare you for great faithful but also fruitful ministry. Now, we prepare the way like John the Baptist. It's, that's the kind of ministry we have. We're there for a while, and then we, quote, love them and leave them. Um, but in loving you and leading you before we leave, there is in our wake, we trust by God always, a church prepared for the future and prepared for their next pastor. In many ways, we set a beautiful table. I mean, the silverware, the candelabra, the lighting, the tablecloth color, the little um, knickknacks that only a woman of hospitality, maybe men of hospitality, would put on the table. Um, the whole manner of it being very, very um, done well. That's what we do. We, we sort of get things in order so that the next pasture has a running start and so that they have a clear pathway with you to continue pursuing the mission God has given for you. Um, in this prototype, um, the next slide, please. Um, it's talked about in Titus 1.5 also that God sent another interim pastor out to a church. It was Titus. So Paul said to Titus, would you go to the island of Crete and minister to that young church that we planted? And he went there, and he straightened out what was unfinished, appointed elders. We don't appoint anyone. We didn't write a constitution at the church, at Central Church. That wasn't what we did. We, with a little leadership, came to a conclusion after a lot of research that it was time to add a couple amendments. But we helped the church get um, uh, the runway so there's no distraction. There's nothing that might trip a young pastor. Um, do you know that when they are making micro processor chips like they do in Arizona, those great plants have to have complete sterile, no impure air, not one speck of dust can be there on that microchip that won't function. Sometimes it's the little foxes, it says in the Bible, that cause us to stumble, the little things. But we've dealt with some big things too. I'm going to share some stories in a little while, but I was tempted to tell you some of the bad stories. You're like, What? A pastor sold $300,000 through a credit card scheme? What? A pastor in the principal of a Christian high school over 20 years stole $3 million? What? A pastor was having an affair. Instead of facing it, he took his life. Um, what? How many pastors did you say, Tom, that have been let go because of plagiarism? They're all sensational. <laughs> And they probably would like, what, what? You know, whoa, I just woke up from Tom's drab sermon. But that is not the product of what we normally uh, deal with, but we do deal with. So the next word is ortho. That's the word straighten out. 
It, it's the word that is associated or part of an orthodontist naming or orthopedic doctor. Um, we can make um, understanding of it used that way. Looking ahead. So sometimes we are church doctors. But I want to say something to you. Are you going to come in here and be dictatorial about this whole thing? Are you going to move people out of the way and invent some dramatic change? Um, if there ever is a dramatic change, you're going to do it. The leadership is going to come to consensus. We need to tweak some things. We don't know what those things even could be. But we do know that in all of the IPM churches, we've never found a perfect church. Um, so this is Jim. Uh, Jim, I did his placements both in all three churches. Todd does that now. But I remember the Baptist Church in Washington, Illinois from the Baptist General Conference. I remember the pastor had disqualified himself in many people's minds, not immorally or anything, just not functioning as a way that they were hoping for, and he was asked to leave. I remember that the youth pastor and another pastor all resigned and left town, but four months later they returned and planted a church almost a stone's throw from the church that used to employ them, and they lost 15, I think, families or people that went over to that church. Jim did a marvelous job of preparing that church through what he's going to do with you. And today they have a very bright future as they minister some seven years later. Um, I remember um, number two, Marshalltown, Iowa, um, an evangelical free church. That's the organization that gave us wings to begin with. And I remember that Dave Jenkins went there, one of my distinguished interims that is competent and capable and caring. And after seven or eight, nine months, his wife's pain became so acute, they had to return home to have their own personal doctors. We were able to move into that place, Jim and Rochelle. I remember, um, because I've written a book about these things, and it's called Soaring Between Pastors on Amazon, that their story was that as they did their work, even though the pastor had some flaws, they realized they were also part of the issue, the leadership. And so they met at a cross. They took the um, things they had done wrong and burned them and dropped them to a large barrel and had prayers of forgiveness. And then they wrote an invitation to the pastor to fly back with his wife for a weekend. And while they were there, there was great reconciliation and reunion. The pastor acknowledged the things he didn't do so well and said, would you forgive me? And the people said the same thing back to the pastor. And then later he wrote that week back, he said, this has transformed my new ministry. I feel like I've got so much more energy because he's not dragging the regret and the pain of the past. Thanks, Jim, for modeling to us biblical reconciliation. I think of Autumn Ridge Church in Rochester, a large Christian Missionary Alliance affiliated church, I believe. And I remember of talking to them. I was talking to one of the um, lead elder. He was the distinguished doctor at Mayo Clinic. Oh, that'll make you a little nervous, you know. I'm just a little farm boy from Virginia. I remember that I, I did the search and Jim was available and they wholeheartedly called his ministry. I knew they were without two positions, an executive pastor and a senior pastor. And so Jim sort of did them both. 
And it was a longer ministry, but tell you what, that was a very troubled church with lots of staff issues that were run deep. Then Jim finished that one up a while back and emailed me. Now, when you have one of your best guys finish a church, you just hope he's ready for the next one. He said, you know, this time we really want to work around Memphis. He said, we really don't want to. I don't know if he said we wouldn't, but we don't want to go more than 30 miles from our home in Collierville. I thought, well, goodbye, Jim. You know, we cover America. We, we don't do that in many Tennessee churches. But God in his sovereignty, somehow or another, we were found on our website. And secondly, Jim was known to you before we introduced him to you. And it's led to this intersection of your need for a strong and profitable transition and the reception of one of the most capable people I know. Now, Jim reminded me yesterday, don't set the bar so high that they're disappointed. Kind of set a little lower, so then they're amazed at what happened. No pressure, Jim. That's okay, buddy. I want to um, tell you how to proceed now, um, because the truth of the matter is, opportunity is knocking on your door. And that door needs to be answered. Some people have answered it. Elders have answered it. Leadership has answered it. Jim has answered it. But have you personally answered the knock on the door? I'm going to go now to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would, please. Mm. Ephesians chapter 5 is the story of the book of Ephesians, one of my favorites. It's a book that's six chapters. The first three are very theological. The next three are very practical. The first three are um, doctrine. The next three are more our response to good doctrine, maybe our duty. Then we come to chapter 4, verse 1. In light of the prayers for our comprehension of who we are in Christ and what he's dead and how he's united us as one family in the Lord, he says in chapter 4, verse 1, walk worthy, worthy, worthy of this calling. Wow, what a, how great is that calling? You know, he chose us, he redeemed us, he gave us his spirit, he's united Jew, Gentile. He breaks every wall of race, et cetera, down and, and distinctions and nationalities, ethnic. All of us in Christ are one people. I took a missionary trip after um, Bible college uh, to um, Italy, and we went up to Switzerland for a couple days to meet a pastor's wife that had a Bible college. And I was 22 years old and had never traveled like that before to Europe. And I remember sitting there thinking, I never met these people before, but we're having the greatest evening together. Their lodging, their meals, their hospitality are amazing. I thought, we do know one another. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. They're my family. So then he comes to chapter 4, verse 1, 5, excuse me. And he says, now I want you to walk in love. Walk in love. Uh, this is chapter 5, excuse me. Walk in love because he's just described. Don't be divisive. Don't say unwholesome words. Say good words. Ask forgiveness. Forgive others. So walk in love. And then he's going to describe, don't fall back into your old life, what you used to be. And he talks about immorality and greed and other kinds of sins. 
He says, you're new people. The day has dawned. Your eyes have been opened. Now walk into that light. Thirdly, he says, walk in wisdom. Now I'm going to land here because the message today is not a typical sermon for me. I normally would go into the final five verses, but I'm going to center right here in the minutes I have left. Chapter 5, I've taken the translation from the 1901, predecessor to the New American Standard. The predecessor was, 1901 was the American Standard Version. And it's almost word by word out of the Greek. Nobody smoothed anything. So it's just a little harder sometimes to get. But I like its translation because no one interpreted the word redeemed for us and told us what it meant. We have to look at it and understand the, the richness of it. And we're going to do that here as we're together. Walking is very important. Um, you can hurt yourself if you fall. I was in a nephew's house recently and getting, leaving from the living room to the basement where I was going to stay. And it was dark going down the first six. Do you need a light on? Being a typical guy, I said, no, I'm just fine. I'm, I'm good. I got it. Well, I turn on the little platform and come down the next steps in the dark. And I thought I was touching the bottom of the floor. I was touching, I was touching, actually I touched a step that wasn't there. And my knee and my ankle twisted and turned as I hit that floor. I want to tell you that the injury is over with and I'm just fine. But you got to be careful. Be careful. Falls can be devastating. I just had a friend that fell in his home and he's completely paralyzed from the neck down. A house fall. I felt like that three months ago. I thank God because I went down so hard having hit a little mat in the living room that wasn't well placed and vump. So we need to be wise in our walk because we are having an opportunity right now to redeem the time for these days are evil. Lots of it going around right now and we've got to buy up this opportunity. The word um, redeemed is an interesting um, word, it's redeeming the time. First of all, the word, the time. There are two words in Greek for um, time. One is chronos, of which we get chronology. The other is kairos, a moment or an opportunity that is in front of us. A season that's coming that we could really leverage if we'll take the opportunity to accomplish something greater. That's the word, not a point of time like a second or a minute, but an opportune, right, qualitative moment. And that's what we have right now. The word buying, you know, redeeming the time, the word redeeming is actually a term that meant in those old days that when a slave was being sold at the auction and people were there in that agora, the marketplace, and they were bidding on that worker to be theirs, they would have to pay a price they would have to get their money out. But then someone would come by with a, Wilbur, a William Wilberforce kind of attitude or spirit and purchase them. And then rather than their life being squandered in slavery, would be releasing them to freedom to do as God was leading them in their future life. The command is for us to use this opportune time to buy back any kind of squandering and to use it purposefully and meaningfully because we have an opportune moment. Opportunity is knocking at the door.
Here's what one writer says, and Cam Taylor has a ministry like us in Canada. He says, times of pastoral transition are windows of opportunity. For a congregation that seizes the opportunity, opportunity's knocking, it can be a great transformational turning point toward greater health and missional effectiveness. That's our hope and prayer, that as it knocks, we'll answer the door, participate, own it, and we'll experience a, a transformation. Maybe you need a spiritual transformation. Maybe a program of the church needs a, a, a ministry trans, uh, transformation. Regardless, welcoming a new pastor to a healthy, functioning, spiritually renewed congregation is a goal worth pursuing. I was serving a church in Atlanta, Georgia, of a denomination I had didn't know nothing about. It was called a Disciples of Christ Church. And they went to Dallas Seminary to find a candidate for it, and um, they found me. And they explained that we are not an active member of this group. The word Christian's in our name, and we've never disowned it. But I want to tell you that we are Bible-believing. And for 22 years, they had a Bible-believing preacher-teacher uh, in their presence. They heard four intentional interims present their programs because those were the only ones that caught their attention because they had a way and they had a process and a goal for the transition. And ultimately, I was chosen to be at Peachtree Christian in Atlanta. Um, there was some great transportation, transformation that took place. Um, we'd been a church that had just been kind of maintaining and limping along, doing a lot of activities, lots of staff, lots of funds, lots of, of ministry. It was a ministry that was lacking something in their own minds. And they said, we want to invest this next year or two in this kind of endeavor. When we finally got to the pastor search process in the second year, and they threw the resume out, it was actually a wonderful packet of material. A pastor in California was in an elevator at a conference when somebody that knew him gave our package, don't know how that person got it, to this pastor. And that night he said, I stayed up to two. I could not believe how our hearts were on the same page and his interest was piqued. And he ultimately became the pastor of the church. I had Jim speaking one time for me at one of our training conferences that are two days, 26 hours across America, now online. We've got one this week. But he said this, and I thought it was good enough to, to save. Using today to prepare Jesus' church for what he wants to do tomorrow. Let's optimize the moment because opportunity is knocking. Who's going to answer? Moving ahead, I want to now, in conclusion, means I've got 30 minutes left, just easing. I want to share with you the process that you're going to go through. I want you to know something, that you can have complete confidence in what's about to come. I've never heard of a team of people checking the reference of an interim and, and checking 14 different people. I mean, usually they just want to talk to two or three if they even get around to it. So you have, um, you have qualified and called the right person. The first stage that Jim is in, and you're in, is a connection phase. 
Now he's knowing your names. I'm impressed his memory. We walked in rooms this week and he's calling people by name. Uh, he's connecting with the staff, building a relationship, trust and empowerment with them. Uh, he's knowing some of the congregation and knowing his mind, you'll have your name down um, uh, sometime in the near future. If you were a denominational church, we would have talked to your district leader to get some insights. But we're in connection, but there's one major task, and that is to hear and learn from the people. That's how we're beginning. So Jim has conducted, I think, 13 to 14 staff interviews already. Uh, there's a team called the Transition Council, I believe, that's going to be expanded. So every person in your 1,200 um, member uh, or, or attendee congregation will be called or, or met with personally to be heard with some questions that will be anonymously correlated to see the trends that the people are saying. I have never in any church I've served heard an interim empowering people to do it with them. But this is going to give you a snapshot of where your people think you are and they say you are. Uh, Upon completing that, there's a season of assessing the health of a church. It's important to see your doctor annually, if not more often. It's important to go see your dentist so that that little decay doesn't become a big decay. Or something that's not quite lined up in your mouth can be realigned. Um, it's a season of assessment. And Jim will lead a number of different tools and processes with the Transition Council to understand deeper about the um, DNA of this church. Thirdly, then, we want to take action. Um, we're not going to take it unilaterally. Uh, the leaders, the elders, the people, and team will come to some consensus about actions that need to occur. Sometimes they're very private. A person needs to be talked to. Sometimes it's very private that, um, that um, there is um, something that wouldn't need to be said publicly that we just do. And the church in Atlanta, the Peachtree Christian, their pastor wanted to stay around and perform weddings. That was his specialty, and people came from around the world for our beautiful architecture and also for his services. But the leadership knew that because he had a lot of mm, administrative sort of, had his thumb on a lot of things, that that wouldn't work. And so off the radar of most, we were gingerly working with him to lower that expectation. Sometimes it's something public, like a church out here that said we need to adjust our, our bylaws or our constitution. And the elders led the charge as they learned more, and the congregation uh, accepted those changes. Number four is, now that we've cleared the runway, what is God's direction and future for us? Can I tell you in my belief what the number one problem in the church in America is? It is not having and living into a God-given vision for your future. We just are doing services over and over and over. We're not thinking deeply from a holistic with more information, with great minds, and we're not seeking and praying before the Lord as a church as we seek to discern God's direction and future for us. Then we wake up as a church staff, 
All of us know where we contribute to the great mission and vision of our church. And consequently, it's that intentional taking action that leads us into new, um, new, new um, well, the shepherd, into new green grass for our future. Um, and then lastly, Jim is trained and professional at helping coach your pastor search process. Jim has said to the group that every one of us have a, a bandwidth, and this is who we are, our distinctives, our doctrine, our values. Uh, they can all have the Great Commission, believe the Bible, but churches have a certain sort of culture, and you've got to find a pastor that you will fit, and they will fit you. It goes both ways. And consequently, that search needs to be well-prepared. It needs to be very well um, informed by those participants, a spiritual discernment um, in order to ultimately come to a senses, having eliminated these others, this is the person the elders through this church committee recommend to their church as the next pastor. I am, um, again, in this next slide, I am um, so encouraged by the stories of transformation that are happening at IPM. And I expect in three or four years, I'll try to keep your name anonymous, I'll be telling your story to another congregation. I think of Will Hope. He joined me at the age of about 62. He drove four hours to meet me when I was living in Michigan um, because he said relationships is what it's about. And Jim, <clears throat> I mean, Will became um, one of my interims. So the first church I offered him was in Hardin, Montana, in a snowstorm. All through the Midwest, whiteouts, he's driving to this little obscure place called Hardin, Montana. The church had been in decline. The pastor had two special needs boys that everybody was uh, empathetic toward, and yet the pastor was not functioning well. His attitude, his wife went to another church, she wouldn't come to her husband's church. And they'd asked him to gingerly, would you find something new? Would you find something new? Would you find something new? And it's getting to nine months, it's getting to 12 months, it's dragging on. And so finally they had to make a decision to um, ask them to leave. And uh, my interim tried to interview that pastor who was still living in the parsonage and they would not answer the door or um, even get to know him. But it was about 40 people that week at the church they probably had been 65 when it was going really well. Um, when I came four months into it, there were about 75 people there. And I noticed that there was a good spirit of optimism and faith and love and unity. And he was helping them redo their children's department because they had very little children and they were building leaders and workers and getting very, very creative. The last Sunday he was there about 16 months after arriving, they had over 120 people in worship. I never promised that past performance predicts future performance because we're not here to grow your church. We're here to prepare your church for the future. But with a high-quality, intentional interim pastor who's seasoned, skilled, and strategic, sometimes that will happen. I think of the church in Shanghai, China that called me one year about five years ago and on our voice message, mail was something that was obscure from somewhere across the ocean. We couldn't understand it. And then we had an email from this church in February, and 
we, we answered it, but we were still a little bit uncertain. And then in May, um, we actually had a Skype call with the uh, head elder of a English-speaking church in Shanghai that ran about 800 people. And consequently, we were able to place Dr. Rick Kreider, his picture was shown earlier in this church, and since it seemed a little bit challenging and they were so far from home, I went to Shanghai to visit them. I got to meet with their elders. I got to preach in their two services, which were in Sunday afternoon as they utilized some other church's space, uh, but just saw the great service and the great enthusiasm that these 60 nations of the world came together to have this international church. Um, it was a real joy and a real good story. Um, my last interim that I served was with Interim Pastor Ministries because my agency closed down after 15 years. And I joined IPM, I was hesitant because initially because the Evangelical Free Church of America conceived informally and made in a, a 501c3 was formed, we're not owned by EFCA, but we serve a lot of their churches. Um, I went to my first interim under them, and it was a church that had been 850. The pastor's son, who'd been the youth pastor for 25 years, was elevated to be the lead pastor. It was a church that was in the country, but had cities of 10 to 12,000 within eight to nine miles. And in about 30 months, the church receded um, not to 700, not to 600, not to 500, to about 430. Uh, it wasn't really a happy time there. And I had a chance to go, and the elder board was down to two. And um, one of them was an associate pastor, so congregation had one elder. So after doing maybe 100 interviews, we formed a transition team that I led for six months. And we had a hybrid sort of governance for that period of time of Myself, the um, two other elders, and the transition team gave counsel. But we formed two teams, a new elder board out of my 17 members on the transition team, and the congregation approved it, and we served a, um, formed a search committee. And we met and met and met, and finally, in about two months of meeting, we were able to cast the net for candidates. And within three months, two of them came to the top of the, top of the, um, uh, the list. We <clears throat> asked each to come a week apart on a Wednesday, spend a two days with us. We want to get to know you. We interviewed them. The elders ate dinner with both. They both went home and they both turned us down. Our top candidates turned us down. We cast the net again in September and we quickly found a pastor that just looked great. Um, everything was wonderful. His preaching was magnificent. And yet in two months, he quit talking to us for a month. We just couldn't get a response. And then we learned January 1 of that year, he took a new church. But we went back to a pastor that we had looked at four months before, and we didn't think he was a good enough speaker or preacher, but I was like, why did y'all ever come to that conclusion? I mean, he's really gifted. And he wasn't available, didn't feel the call, but when we came back the second time, Shane Pruitt became the pastor. And Served five wonderful years until some big mega church, not a mega church, 800, called him in Cleveland to be their new pastor, but it was a great, great transformation of ministry. So my hope is in this slide before you, coming up now, is that you'll redeem the time. Number one, to redeem the time, you need to learn and understand 
and um, embrace. That's the word embrace this season. When I was a Peachtree Christian, that was like two years. But we needed every minute of it, believe me. And no one except a few complained. In the elevator one day, some man, he says, we're going to lose this church if we don't get a pastor. Honestly, the church had grown some and days were good. Learn and understand. Number two, I need you to also support this. Get behind it. Don't complain like, when's our pastor coming? You get a preemptive pastor that you're not prepared as a church or they're not prepared, it will be disaster. Thirdly, I need you to pray. Without God, this is completely impossible. We're not here with mechanicalism. We do have process and tools. But unless the Lord builds it, they labor in vain. Without me, you can do nothing. Ask and it shall be given to you. So we need the church praying through this transition season. We need your involvement when they call you up very soon and ask you, can we have a season, a church leader, an individual, can we visit with you either on the phone or somewhere to be able to get your thoughts about the church? We have some questions. Gladly, gladly accept that invitation. And finally, I say to you, be patient. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day, but it was destroyed pretty quickly. And if you want to be a, a weed, then you can pop up like a morning glory within a few days. But if your church is going to continue being a great oak of which the spirit of the God is blowing in the wind of the church, it's a tree that has acorns that drop that plant into the people's lives, the word of God, and some of them sprout into to missionaries, some sprout into elders, some sprout into Sunday school teachers, some sprout into wonderful Christmas business people, a college student that's been sprouted because of the word dropping in a great environment. In concluding, I believe you can go forth, I know you can, with confidence because you have a wise interim and his wife that are here for the transition. One last thought. The next verse in Acts says that we must be filled with the Spirit or we can't love right, we can't walk in the light, we can't walk with wisdom unless God is the thermal that's lifting us toward his ministry future and his power. We need to be controlled by God. We need to be surrendered like little children who say we're going to live our lives for the Lord. We need to have a, a personal, intimate relationship with our living God far beyond the Sunday morning listening, ascending on the thermals of God. And you can then go a little higher, a little higher, and the person of God and the ministry of God for his glory and kingdom until he comes again.